You're listening to the Scottish Football Forums podcast, the home of Scottish football banter. Welcome to Scottish Football Forums podcast. Series 8 episode 42 featured a special tribute to the late Lisbon Lions Joe, Billy McNeil and Steve Chalmers. Aberdeen fan and former Celtic TV presenter Ali Begg and former Celtic midfielder Billy Stark kindly shared their thoughts during the tribute. Now we provide the full interviews with both as a bonus for the week to hear their memories in full. Ali spoke to us six days after McNeil's passing. He summed up what McNeil's legacy was as Aberdeen manager and how approachable he was in Celtic TV, even if McNeil had a nickname or two for him. Well, I'm, I'm joined um, by... Ali Begg, who was presented at Celtic TV um, and had um, met Billy McNeil on more than one occasion during his time there. Ali, first of all, it's been um, six days since we record this since um, the sad passing of Billy. What was your reaction when you heard the, the sad news? Just great sadness, John. Um, absolutely devastated. I knew that he was suffering from dementia. I had been in regular touch with his family. Uh, since I found out that he was diagnosed with dementia. So um, I was keeping abreast of his condition. But just, it always comes as a terrible shock when someone passes away, especially the, the magnitude of Billy. So it was just great sadness, it really was. Yeah, I mean, obviously been not well for, for quite some time. Had you been in touch with the, um, with the family during this um, yeah, his, his battle? Yeah, when I first found out that he was suffering from the disease, I, uh, I called Liz... Uh, just to just to basically say that I'm here for any sort of support that they may need. Just told Liz how fond I was of Billy and all my great memories of him. And I knew Martin from my time working with Satanta anyway, because Martin was producing the Scottish Premiership, the Scottish Premier League coverage um, when we first started at Satanta. So Martin and I know each other very well. So Martin and I have always kept in touch over the years. And um, yeah, I just I, I just. It's just the right thing to do, just to, to, to keep in touch with people and just to tell them that you're there and that you're offering support and any sort of emotional support as well. So it was the right thing to do. Yeah, that, that's really good. And when was the first time that you, um, when you met Billy, was it during um, his time at Celtic or did you meet him by a chance when he was manager at Aberdeen when you were just a young boy? No, no, we hadn't moved to Aberdeen by the time he was uh, manager of uh, of the club. We actually moved to Aberdeen in 1979 from Holland when we relocated from Maastricht in Holland. My father took up a job at Aberdeen Airport. So we first moved to Aberdeen in the summer of 79. By that point, um, obviously, so Alex Ferguson was in charge of the club. But I had actually met him a few times as a... As a youngster, whenever we used to go through to Glasgow, whenever my grandfather or my uncle was reporting on Celtic games, which to be fair wasn't an awful lot of times because my grandfather and my uncle specialised in the lower leagues and more in junior football, but occasionally they would get tasked with reporting Celtic games. And the first time I met Billy, I think from memory, I was only about 10 or 11 years old and Aberdeen were playing Celtic at Celtic Park. And my grandfather took me into the press box and he had to interview Billy after the game just to get a few quotes. And that was the first time I met him. But obviously, when you're sort of that at that age, you don't really have the full understanding of this colossal man that's standing in front of you. You know that he's from the enemy, you know, because um, obviously being an Aberdeen fan, he's the, he's the manager of Celtic. So he's the enemy. 
but I do remember him looking down on me. That that's the the sort of the picture that I have in my memory, just looking at this colossal man. And then obviously I met him more personally when I I joined Satanta in two thousand and four, and meeting him first time as an adult um, in the tele, the old television studios in Cowcaddens in Glasgow, and I, I wrote about it in my blog where. Jim Craig and I, Jim was my, my sort of my right hand man when we were presenting on Celtic TV and we were playing a game of pool one night and Billy was our guest that evening. And it was only one of the first shows that we that that, that we did when we first started at Satanta. And I just remember him walking in and just having this aura about him. And you know, Jim going over and giving him a really tight hug and that's when I really appreciated that, you know, that the game of football goes beyond the park. It, these guys really are brothers, and they share so many great moments together and great memories together. And they, you know, they really hugged each other like they were brothers. And I, I was really quite touched by that. And then obviously I went over and introduced myself, and he introduced himself as if he had to do that, you know, which just shows the class, just shows the class of the man that he felt that he had to introduce himself to me, you know. And he, uh, he gave me a firm handshake, and I, I told him of my grandfather immediately. And he just warmed to me from there, um, and we just we hit it off immediately. And he just became a huge pillar of strength for me for three years before I moved to Singapore. He was just he was just an amazing man, John. He really was. Yeah, I mean, the, we obviously read your blog um, on on what what um, Bill McNeil meant to you, mm. and um, there was a particular story that um, that grabbed what well, probably grabbed a lot of people. You were going through a bit of a hard time getting hate mail from um, Celtic fans because you were an Aberdeen fan presenting on their show, and he gave you a bit a, a sound bit of advice, which um, it was fair to say you took on board. Yeah, I, it, it was a, it was a difficult time because the, the the people that were running the channel at the time, quite rightly so, sort of put out. Uh, a request for fans to tell us what they thought of the channel and how they think we could improve it and just wanted general feedback from those who were subscribing to the channel. Um, what I wasn't expecting was a little bit of a backlash against myself. Now, don't get me wrong, it, it, it was minimal and thankfully the, the majority of the stuff that came through was very, very positive, for which obviously I was extremely humbled by. But there were the odd extremely unflattering letter and comment here and there. So there was one particular letter which really left me quite down and I don't usually allow these things to get to me but it was it was it was it was quite biting it really was and it, and, it, and it actually hurt my feelings. Um and I thought it was unjust and I thought it was unfair. And I was just having a quiet moment to myself um downstairs in the the old canteen. And Billy came in and he just sensed it. He could sense it immediately and he came over. And I, ha I actually had the letter in my hand and I showed it to him and he read it and he just laughed it off. And he just basically said to me, look, you, you have to do your best to learn from these kind of things. He says, don't let it eat away, eat away at you because if it does, it will just peck at your head and it will play on your mind and then you'll just try too hard, which will then make your job unnatural. He says, you've got a very natural way about you. He says, don't lose that, because if you try too hard, it will come across as that. So he just basically said to me, use it as a means of inspiration. Show that person that's written that letter that you're worthy of the position and that you're professional first and foremost. He said, we all know that you're an Aberdeen fan. 
He said it's completely and utterly irrelevant. I was a huge Celtic man. I am a huge Celtic man. But yet I managed Aberdeen for 12 months. And whenever I managed Aberdeen, I did my utmost to make sure when we played Celtic, we won the game. And he said, you've got to do the same. He said, you've got to show people how professional you are. And he just... He just basically gave me really sound advice. And I took the advice on board and I became a better person for it. And I became, I think, I would like to think, a better all-round broadcaster for it as well. Um, so it was a very valuable lesson for me. Um, so I'll never forget that. And he was, he, was, he was very kind about it. That's what really struck me in that moment. You know, it only took five minutes, but he, he showed this real caring side to him, um, which I will obviously always be very grateful for. Yeah, he certainly came across as that kind of man. I mean, obviously, in the aftermath of his passing, there's been a um, a lot of people saying how much he went out of his way to help supporters. Like the 88 season, he made sure that at least one person from the Celtic squad attended um, every single function that um, Celtic fans or whenever possible, even ones down south. I mean, that obviously showed how much he, he appreciated the Celtic fans because, remember, he was one of them mm. once upon a time. I think that that's important to remember, John, and it's a good point because you could always tell from Billy and Tommy Burns as well what the fans meant to that football club. And it was important that the players never, ever forget that. And even when when I was working there, when I was working for Satanta, Billy always used to say to me, remember, you're presenting to the fans, so don't try and insult their intelligence. Don't pull the wool over their eyes. Um, obviously, you've got to be careful editorially because at the end of the day, the football club has their editorial right over what we do and what we say. He says, but that doesn't mean to say that you've got to pull the wool over the fans' eyes because they'll know immediately. So always be aware of the fans watching the programme. And again, that was really, really sound advice that he gave me in the early days. Him and Jim. Jim, Jim Craig was exactly the same. They never, ever forgot the role that the fan plays and how important the fans are to that football club. And I think um, I think Billy always had that in the forefront of his mind. Yeah, definitely. What was he like to interview? Oh, he was, honestly, he was phenomenal. You could, you could throw anything at him. He's the type of guy where I could throw a question at him and I knew he was going to give me a versed, intelligent, articulated answer, which sometimes... When you're presenting, you need that from your guest because it just gives you that few seconds to collect your own thoughts to know where you're going to go next in the programme. Because sometimes when a programme is running really, really fast and you're not exactly too sure where you're going next, it can be a little bit confusing. And he was the perfect remedy for that, him and Jim Craig. And in fact, many of the guys that I worked with during my time there were very, very articulate in their answers. And he was just phenomenal. He gave you an insider's view to what it would be like in the dressing room. He would then give you an insider's view to what it would be like tactically, especially if Celtic were, say, for example, they were losing 1-0 in a game and they came back and they won the game, or if they were reaching a critical stage in the game, if the manager at the time, be it Martin O'Neill or Gordon Strachan, had changed the game plan. He would be able to tell us why and how they changed the, the game plan, which is really educational for somebody like myself, who's then hopefully able to take the conversation forward, but also for the for the viewer as well. And I always think that Billy had the viewer's thoughts very much in his mind when he was 
ask, uh, answering questions and chatting to, to other guests that may be on the programme with him, like Jim Craig or Bertie Ald or Derek White or whoever it may have been on that particular day. He was, uh, he was fantastic to interview and I loved being in his company and I always looked forward to him coming in to the studios. Yeah, I also read in your blog that uh, he likes to welcome you with the nickname Sheepy. <laughs> but um, what other what other um, <laughs> nicknames did he have? Um, was there a few bad boys? I think, references? Oh, he was always at it about the band. Always at it. He would occasionally, if I if I if I didn't have time to see him in the the canteen or in the office, if I was upstairs getting ready for the show, and I would only see him in the studio, occasionally he would come in and he would do like this this little jig. Like a like a little dance and come in and just completely take the mick out of me, you know, which which really helps relax you and put you in the right frame of mind. And you just can't wait for the show to get going because you know you're going to have a lot of fun and a lot of banter. But he always called me sheepy, and he always did this thing where if I was sat at my computer working away, just finalising my, my my scripts and what I wanted to ask the boys on that night, he would come up behind me and he would place his hands on my shoulders. And my father used to do that. If I was ever sat in my father's office back home where I grew up and we were just scouring the internet or just watching some funny YouTube clips or something, he would always stand behind me with his hands firmly placed on my shoulders. And Billy did exactly the same. And it, and it almost felt like my own father was behind me. And I got a great sense of um, calmness from that. And he, I know this may sound a bit weird, but it, it, it made me feel secure. It, it, I hope I'm kind of making sense here. There was just this fatherly aura about him. And it, it was just, I felt really quite humbled by that, you know, that a man of his stature would, would, would take the time to do that. And he would just stand behind me with his hands on my shoulders and he would always whisper into my ear if Aberdeen got beat at the weekend, you know, just always <laughs> taking the mick. And he, he particularly enjoyed watching me squirm when Aberdeen lost at the weekend. Um, which thankfully at that time wasn't too often because we were under Jimmy Calder, we'd really started to, to get back to old ways and actually doing okay. Um, but he, he just had this great sense of fun about him and it was never, you know, a sense of fun was never intended to hurt or to offend. It was just about having fun and I, I just loved that about him. Yeah, that's what life's all about. Um, what was the funniest story that he told you as the one that springs um, to mind? The what one, sorry, John? Is it, um, what was the funniest story ever told? Is there one that springs to mind at all? Oh, I can't really remember if I'm being honest. Um, what I do, what I do remember is we we had to do a special 40th anniversary of Celtic winning the European Cup, and we had Jim Craig, Billy McNeil, and Bertie Ald in the studio, and we did a two-hour special. And I swear it was the funniest two hours of television that I've ever been involved in because the stories flowing from not just the build-up but the actual game itself, the aftermath of the game, then coming back to Celtic Park and all the celebrations. And it was just story after story after story. And to be in that unique position where these guys have experienced you know, what is really the holy grail in club football um, and telling the funny stories and just sitting, watching them. You know, my job was almost vacant because I would fire a question at the boys and then they would take over. 
and then they would sort of talk amongst each other and one one question could take five minutes to answer and I could just sit back and just listen to these three guys talking and reminiscing about that that wonderful moment in their lives and it was just fantastic it was it was one of the best television shows that I've ever made and I really felt quite privileged to be sat there with them enjoying that moment and the laughter was just rolling and and Bertie in particular you know Bertie is just one of the funniest guys I've ever met and he had Jim and Billy He's probably told the story a hundred times, but every time he tells the same stories, he has the boys rolling in fits of laughter. And it was, it was just, it, it was such a great show. Um, but an actual, but to actually remember a particular story, I, I, I can't really remember, John, if I'm being honest, there were just so many. No, fair, fair enough. Um, but speaking about funny, funny stories and funny characters, um, he had Frank McIverney in the centenary season, and there was also many stories about him going down to London after Saturday, not come back till the early hours of Tuesday morning. Did um, what did he have to say about how he managed such a um, a hard character to work with, but also a great character in terms of the fact that um, he scored so many goals that season? To, to be honest with you, John, I I I, I learnt. In my early days at MUTV, not to push people too much on what went what, what went on in the dressing room, because I felt that the dressing room was the inner sanctum, that that was the what what is basically in those four walls stays in those four walls. And so Alex Ferguson taught me that quite early in my days at MUTV. So Alex was always very open to to questions I would I would want to ask him. But he did always say to me, don't ask me about stuff in the dressing room and how I discipline players and how I deal with certain situations because that is nobody's business. That is how we deal with things inside the club and it's not for public use. And I totally respected that. And it always that always stayed with me, John. And I, and I just felt asking, asking people like Billy McNeil, Gordon Strachan, Martin O'Neill, I never really wanted to go into... You know, if a player got sent off in a game, I would never say to him, are you going to discipline him? Are you going to fine him? Because I, I, I just, I don't know, I just felt it wasn't, it wasn't my, my, first, I didn't think it was my place to ask them. And two, the stuff which I just think is not for public use. Um, and it, and th- there has to be private moments um, because you know what it's like, you know, yeah. social media, just everything is out there. And sometimes I yeah. just, I just felt... No, that needs to be left alone. That that's up to the manager to choose and how he decides what he's going to do, and it, and it's really none of our business. So I, I I didn't really push Billy on stuff like that, if I'm being brutally honest. Mm-hmm. No, f- fair days. Well, well, we're both Aberdeen fans, mm. so we got to go back to um, McNeil's twelve months at Aberdeen. Mm. Um, obviously, I wasn't born then; you were only a kid. But um, you know, just sum up what um, his twelve months meant to um, Aberdeen fans because obviously we see it as it laid the foundations for greater th- for Ferguson to pick up yeah well you know the fact that he is even though he was only there for 12 months he's got the highest win percentage of any Aberdeen manager in the club's history I think just tells you everything you need to know in the 12 months that he was there finished second in the league lost the league on the last day of the season reached the Scottish Cup final um, we lost the Scottish Cup final if you look back on on the history books and you read the history books and you speak to people that were involved in that game and on that day, nobody understood why Aberdeen froze that day because they came into it 23 games unbeaten since December. And on the day itself, we just froze. Um, And actually, Billy did say to me that was one of his biggest disappointments 
was the Scottish Cup final that year because they really fancied Aberdeen to beat Rangers that day and for some reason they just came unstuck um, but the fact that he bought Gordon Strachan from Dundee he bought Stevie Archibald from Clyde he gave Alex McLeish his debut he signed Neil Simpson he convinced Willie Miller to sign a long-term extension to his contract when it looked like Willie was possibly going to leave at that time. I think just speaks volumes for for what he did behind the scenes as well. And it, 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 it's obvious, the foundations that he laid for Sir Alex Ferguson to come in and basically take over. But I also think it should also be remembered that John Clark was his right-hand man and his best pal, you know, his, his central defensive partnership at Celtic for, for so many years and his best pal, and um, John played a pivotal role in that as well. So the two of them together really laid the foundations for Sir Alex Ferguson to take over and then obviously take it forward from there. So, so um, Billy's rightful passage in the history of our football club should always be remembered. Yeah, without a doubt. And uh, when I was watching the Stand Free DVD, um, I watched it again after um, obviously hearing about his passing. He talked um, about his fondness and how much he enjoyed his time and there was a little bit of regret even though he went on in the next five years with Celtic to win three titles um, he still had some degree of regret with um, with Aberdeen which just sums up um, how much he appreciated his time there Yeah it's interesting because again I've, I've spoken to a couple of uh, um, historians about that and he really did not take his decision lightly to leave Aberdeen and I know for a fact that Dick Donald and Chris Anderson were strenuous in their efforts to try and keep him at the football club um, <clears throat> and I think it speaks volumes for their efforts that Billy really, it was a really difficult decision for him to make and he didn't just make it instantly, it took him a few days to to really decide what he was going to do and he spoke to his family very carefully, I know that, he spoke to Liz very carefully about it, obviously he spoke to John Clark about it very carefully um, but you know when your spiritual home calls sometimes the, these things are just meant to happen and I do believe it was meant to happen because if he hadn't left, maybe Sir Alex Ferguson would never have come and then we wouldn't have gone on to have the success that we had. So maybe fate played at hand, I don't know. Yeah, well, I don't think um, any Aberdeen fans would change that and neither would Celtic fans because both, both sides um, went on to relative success um, over the next few years. Um, mm. But, you know, com- coming back to his, um, you know, his, Celt- his Celtic days, I mean... What about how you rate in terms of a manager from, from your perspective? Because he obviously won four titles over two spells, um, one of which was a last day winner over Rangers when they had ten men, and the other one was obviously uh, the centenary season, the other two that stand out. Yeah, for sure. You know, um, Listen, he'll always go down. As far as I'm concerned, what he did as a manager, um, it, what he did as a... Let me phrase it this way. What he did as a player, um, I think, should be remembered more because to be the first man to lift the European Cup, the first British man to lift the European Cup, and the fact that he's now got a statue outside Celtic Park um, with that pose, I think speaks volumes for Billy himself. He's the greatest Celtic captain ever and probably ever will be. Um, so for me, he's the, he's, he's, he's the greatest Celtic player ever, as far as I'm concerned. I know people will talk about Jimmy Johnston and Henrik Larson and these guys, but from Billy Stature and the type of person that he was, you know, I, I, I only met Jimmy Jones, Johnson very briefly. Um, I've met Henrik Larson out here a few times when he's come out to act as a guest. Um, very nice man, very charming man. Um, but 
because of the way that I, I knew Billy and was very fortunate to, to know him over that period when I was living in Glasgow. He'll just for me he'll be the greatest Celtic man ever. Yeah, I th- well, I was going to ask where do you place him in terms of um, Scottish football. I mean, he's obviously got in as the greatest Celtic captain ever, one of the greatest Scottish captains, along with the likes of John Gregg and Willie Miller. Um, I mean, his achievements are player, 790 appearances for Celtic, nine titles, a European Cup. I think what was it seven Scottish Cups and five League Cups as well? It's just a phenomenal record. Um, but he only had 29 caps for Scotland. But it was at an era where I think the SFA were deliberately not picking some Catholic players at that point. Yeah, yeah, whatever. You know, it's scandalous. It's absolutely scandalous. But that's that's a story for another day, not for me to comment about. Absolutely, yeah. Um, but yeah, it's just a shame that he didn't get more caps. But um, so how about um, just just sum up what Bill McNeil meant to to you first um, as a as a person more than anything. It was just it was just an incredibly kind, caring, affectionate man. Um, he just, he had, as I've mentioned before, he just had this aura about him. I mean, he really, really did. And it's not often that my breath has been taken away when I've met people. You know, when I was in the, the, the band, when I met celebrities, couldn't care less, really couldn't care less. And I was very fortunate to meet some, you know, pretty famous people, especially musicians, who I'd, you know, listened to since I was a wee boy. When I met them, wasn't really arsed, if I'm being John, if I'm being honest, John, it really wasn't. But see, when you meet people like Sir Alex Ferguson and Willie Miller, who were my heroes when I was a wee boy, and then Billy McNeil does, you know, Billy took my breath away. I was just, I really was quite awestruck when I first met him that, that afternoon. Um, so just a, just a fantastic guy. Just, he'll be, he'll be missed so much. You know, he really will. And, um, yeah, it's just devastating. It really is. Yeah, and did you manage to see the the start of the Celtic Kilmarnock game when he got the where they had the tribute? No, not yet. Um, I'm I'm uh, I'm producing my show. My, I do a Sunday night show, which I'm producing tonight, and uh, uh, the Celtic game will be going in there, followed very swiftly by the the Rangers Aberdeen game. So as soon as I get to the office, I will uh, I will look at all the tributes. I've seen some of them on Twitter. Um, just sort of fan footage and stuff like that, but but not from the actual um, uh, match coverage. So I'll have a good look at it when I get when I get back. Fabulous. Well, well, thanks very much, Alex. That was um, that was um, a great interview, and um, thanks very much. Yeah, take pleasure, absolute pleasure. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, take care. We had scheduled a phone interview with Billy Stark when news broke that Steve Chalmers sadly passed away. Stark was old enough to remember Chalmers, McNeil and the Lions team and talks fondly on the impact they had on Scottish football. However, it was Stark's time at the club that took up most of the conversation, particularly the famous centenary season under McNeil where Celtic won the double. Okay, so today uh, we learned the sad news that uh, Steve Chalmers um, passed away a week after Billy McNeil's sad passing. Um, I've got Billy Stark on um, on just now. Um, so, Billy, thanks so much for taking the time to speak to me. Uh, first of all, can you just um, give your immediate reaction to um, the sad passing of both Billy McNeil last week and Steve Chambers uh, this afternoon or this morning? Well, it's always desperately sad when you lose anybody, but uh, when there's high profile guys like that that uh, were the first to bring the European Cup and the only time to bring the European Cup back to Scotland, then it resonates even more for uh, 
the majority of the public that were of a certain generation. So uh, very, very different from me, obviously, Billy McNeil. Uh, Stevie was just one that I bumped into now and again, and he was a lovely man that always was free of his time for you. Uh, but Billy McNeil was one that I'm uh, very grateful to the time for Celtic and uh, allowed me to be part of the centenary year. Uh, celebrations as, as it turned out but of course that, that was never guaranteed and I think uh, it was down to Billy that we, we managed to achieve that that season Yeah and the centenary season certainly something I want to um, cover a little bit more in depth just now um, so what was your um, feelings when you when you joined Celtic? Well I was at a, a, an advanced stage of my career John and uh, you know, the, the first thing was, you know, a, a bit of surprise. Uh, I had been with Aberdeen for four years and enjoyed my time there. I decided I was, uh, my contract was up and I was decided, I decided to leave. Alex Ferguson had left and I felt it was the right move uh, to come back down to the west of Scotland. And uh, uh, as I say, never for a minute did I think that Celtic would, would be a point of destination uh, but I think circumstances worked for me with Celtic losing a, n- a number of top players, Brian McClare, Murdo McLeod, Alan McAnally and Mo Johnson. And obviously Billy McNeil had just got the job after Danny Hay, so he needed to recruit quickly and uh, he needed to recruit some experienced players as well. And uh, fortunately for me, I came into that category and uh, as I say, it was, a, it was a great move for me, even though I had great times at Aberdeen and managed to win trophies. Uh, the lure of signing for Celtic was was too great to, to pass up and uh, you know I was uh, delighted to, to be able to do that. So uh, that's uh, how it transpired and uh, I say it was a great time for me. Yeah and within a few weeks uh, or a couple of months of you signing uh, you um, made yourself popular with the Celtic fans by scoring in an old firm game with the winning goal. Um, can you just, just describe that moment? Yeah, as I say, it was, uh, it was again, you know, your first old firm game. Uh, although you had, you know, good experience and played in the uh, cup winning teams and all the rest of it, then, uh, you know, he still felt how big a game that was. Uh, and as you say, luckily for me, I was able to score what's, what turned out to be the winning goal, uh, although it was very early in the game. Uh, so, you know, that, that's, uh, that's a very uh, rapid way to get uh, the Celtic supporters on your side. And uh, so it proved uh, went on to, to have a successful season. Uh, we are a team that had a lot of spirit, uh, that, that was a, a, a sort of... Something that the manager was big on, and uh, really, really an extension of him. To be honest with you, I think his enthusiasm uh, for the club and the job uh, rubbed off for all of us. We had to jail very quickly, uh, having lost those players uh, and brought in, bringing in new players. Chris Morris, myself, Andy Walker, Mick McCarthy had just signed. Uh, you know, some some experienced players and. In terms of Chris and Andy, younger players, but all uh, we had 
to jail with the, the group that was already there, uh, like uh, Tommy Burns, Roy Aitken, Paddy Bonner, uh, Paul McStay, Peter Grant. So it was uh, it was a job that uh, probably only Big Billy could have achieved, and we hit the ground running. Uh, first game down at Morton, and uh, went four 0 and you know we were off and running, and uh, say. One or two setbacks, as you always do, but we, we put together a long unbeaten run that culminated in winning the league. Yeah, it was certainly a good achievement, and you mentioned some of the players there. You obviously late, later on added Frank McAvenny, who um, was a, a bit of a character from all the stories that we've read. Um, how did um, how did Billy manage to um, handle him and get the best out of him? Yeah, well, I mean, I think you know, the, the players that I mentioned that signed in the summer, but of course Billy very astutely added Joe Miller uh, I think around about the September, October and then Frank maybe a month later so uh, they they were, were good. it was great timing to, to bring them in on top of the ones that came in in the summer and the type of characters they were they fitted in very well with the group and uh, as you say lack of any particularly was a, a real character a played with St Mirren so I knew him I knew what he'd bring to the team as a footballer. Uh, I knew what he'd bring to the club as a as a personality, and uh, he was a likable rogue. And that's the way Big Billy treated him. I think it was great management. Uh, he, he was a disciplinarian, Billy. But uh, you know, even when he walked into a room, uh, his presence was felt right away. So you know, discipline was never a problem. But he allowed back of any scope to uh, lead sort of life that he liked to lead Frank uh, because he knew that he, he worked harder than any day training and then a Saturday when the games came round he was uh, he was full of life and full of running and uh, did his work for the team so uh, as I say, he handled that brilliantly Yeah and overall what was he um, like as a manager? Say the first thing that hit you was that presence. He was a bubbly personality, uh, always on the front foot, and particularly for his first love, Celtic. Uh, you know that that shone through. And as, as I say, I think it played a big part in uh, the success of the centenary year that he made us feel that we had to connect with the supporters, or how important it was to connect with the supporters. And, you know, we had Player of the Year booze all through that season it seemed uh, you were out every weekend after games connecting with supporters and, and you know that all helped to build the momentum that carried us through that season uh, so you know as I say that was all down to, to Billy uh, galvanising not just the support but the, the players and gelling everybody together yeah, he certainly, um, it certainly worked a treat for you that season because you won the league with only losing three games. Um, you won the league by ten points in a two-point um, for the victory season. Um, but there's also a couple of games that would stand out um, from the Scottish Cup run, which completed the the double. Um, a couple of yeah. um, late turnarounds in the semi-final and the final. Just how much did that just sum up the spirit that you had? Well, I think it did, and, and we uh, that that. Team uh, has the reputation of 
scoring late goals and winning games, and, and you know, I, I don't know if that sort of gets exaggerated a wee bit. Uh, and I think I think I know why because those two games that you mentioned, Hearts and Dundee United, to be one 0 down uh, with whatever it was five minutes to go or even less than that in some cases, uh, to not only come back and equalise but to go in and win the game was the stuff a uh, stuff a legend. So uh, you know, you, you, it's not something that we uh, planned. That's for sure. You want to try and win the game as soon as you can when you go on the pitch. But, you know, we're talking about quality teams then. Rangers obviously spending big money. Aberdeen with a top side still. The D United, you know, still part of the greatest times in the D United's history. And, of course, Hearts uh, were very, very strong, uh, having just missed out in the League and Cup double in the, the 86, the 85-86 season. So, uh, you know that was the quality you were up against. So you know you knew sometimes you had to go the distance to get the reward at the end of the day. And uh, as you say, as you say, the the the, the fairy tale finishes to both those games uh, was quite remarkable. Uh, and I said no, just to equalise with a minute or two to go, but then to go and. Uh, go for the throat really and, and get the, the, the winning goal without having to go to extra time was, was quite amazing yeah, that would have been a tremendous feeling. And uh, winning the title, you'd obviously won a couple of titles um, as a player at Aberdeen. But how did it um, compare when you won it with Celtic that season when you clinched it against Dundee? Yeah, I mean, I, I think when you win, you won the first division uh, with St Mirren under Alex Ferguson in the early part of my career, and you know, I had to wait till I went to Aberdeen to win the the big prize, the Premier Division, a couple of times. So uh, they're always special. Uh, but the centenary of the year obviously tops that off the manner in which we did it and the, the time in the club's history uh, just added to it so you know that, that that was a special one absolutely no doubt about that and uh, as I say to complete the double uh, was you know in the back of Rangers signing you know top English international players uh, and having already started that momentum previous season to, to arrest that and stop that uh, was as big a, a feat as any but uh, say with those other quality teams round about to come through and win the league I think a 44 game season as well uh, which really tested you then you know it was uh, it was a, a remarkable achievement for us yeah, it certainly was. Uh, unfortunately, it turned out to be as good as it got in that second spell for Billy. Um, although you won the Scottish Cup the next season, yeah. um, you lost yep. the Cup final yeah. at Aberdeen, which was your last game um, for Celtic. But yep. what was it um, when you left the club? What sort of conversations happened between you and um, Billy at that point? Was it amicable? Of course, yeah. I mean, actually, uh, Billy had offered me another year's contract, uh, and I was thirty-three at the time, uh, so. You know, obviously, I think the first thing to say is that uh, I don't think Billy was allowed to build on that success in terms of the budget that he was given compared to certainly compared to Rangers. Uh, so, you know, that that was disappointing in a way. But as you say, we won the Scottish Cup at the end of that season, beating Rangers. So, you know, that represented some sort of success. But the following year was uh, the Aberdeen Cup final, which. I had missed the whole team through injury and came back for the last couple of league games and luckily was 
picked for the Scottish Cup final and uh, it was, it, although it was a nil-nil it was a terrific game and unfortunately for us we we lost it in penalties uh, which was the, my only Scottish Cup defeat Cup, Cup final defeat so you know that was a hard one to take but at that point uh, as I say Billy offered me a new one year contract and uh, we discussed things and I obviously wasn't going to be uh, you know, a, a, a first pick every every game because you're at that stage of your career that uh, the, the load of playing for Celtic at that age is uh, is quite difficult. So uh, we agreed that it was I wanted to play every week, particularly having missed a lot of the previous season, uh, and we 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 came to a decision that uh, I would I would go. And there was a few clubs interested, but Kilmarnock, with Tommy Burns already there, uh, and being such a good club and on the up, then uh, that's where I uh, ended up. So no, no regrets. I mean, as I say, I could have stayed at Celtic for another year, but I didn't want to become just a bit part player. Uh, and as I said, having been out injured, I wanted to play regularly, and uh, that's why I moved. Yeah, I didn't actually realise that um, you had been offered a deal by Celtic, so thanks for giving me some new information that's a school day for yeah, me. Yeah, <laughs> um, but, yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, after, so I take it after Celtic, you would have um, stayed in touch. Um, and, um, you know, just talk about, um, you know, the times that you had, had met between like, then and, um, you know, before his, um, his illness. Yeah. Well, obviously, he was always one. He was larger than life, and it was always at games and uh, functions that you bumped into him, and uh, he always treated you like a long-lost son. Uh, and that that was a really nice uh, way. He really that, that really nice way about him that he made you feel that way, and and probably did that with everybody. But uh, I think he really sort of appreciated. I had come in in a difficult time and done a good job for him and just as equally I uh, respected what he had done for me in terms of that stage in my career to give me the opportunity to play for Celtic so uh, it, was, it was a mutual thing there but uh, you know he, he was always easy to talk to and gave his advice freely uh, and uh, say was a, a great a great one to be able to talk to when you had some issues that you maybe needed some advice on. So, uh, you know that that was uh, the way it was until you know the sad time that uh, his illness started to kick in. Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah, unfortunately, it's, it turned out. Um, you know, he's obviously he had great times as a manager. And you've also got the biggest one. This is a, a manager, but um, for obvious reasons, his player career stands out, and especially that moment in '67. You, what did you? I mean, did you um, have a lot of memories of that sixty seventeen grow up as a child? Oh yeah, of course. It was a it was a big thing. It was when uh, Scottish football you almost felt ruled the world because we had beaten England at Wembley just weeks before it, and uh, I would have been probably about uh, ten at the time. Uh, was able to. Uh, dodge school to watch the game, so uh, it was, it was, uh, you know, in, in, in particularly in retrospect, it's a feat that's never going to be repeated, and uh, you know, quite rightly, the legend. 
and they grew up around the Lisbon lines uh, was was something that you you grew up with, uh, and of course Big Jock, you know, leading the team after that to another European final, European Cup final, and uh, and winning more leagues and Scottish cups and league cups. Uh, you know, Celtic were the by far the dominant team in Scotland, and you know a couple of European Cup semi-finals as well, Atletico Madrid and Inter Milan. So. Uh, you know, it was a fantastic time. You just felt that was going to continue, but it has happened. Uh, sort of cycles, and you know, the Lisbon Lions obviously grew old together and and started to break up. And you know, luckily for Celtic, they had the, the quality street kids with the likes of Oblish and McGrain and McCarry and all them coming through. George Conley, so uh, that that success was able to be. Sustained right through the mid 70s, so it was uh, it was a great period to grow up uh, in Scottish football. And, uh, the the, 60s, the year 1967 is so special uh, in Scottish football history, and you know it was it was quite spooky and remarkable that Saturday, you know, the Celtic set at half the number five in his shorts scored in the 67th minute. Uh, <laughs> Quite, quite amazing that. Yeah, that that was a, a fitting tribute. Um, Simeonovic scoring the only goal on the 67th minute of the game. Um, it, you know, but the, the tributes to Billy beforehand was just tremendous. Oh yeah, I mean, as I say, um, the only regret that I have is that I wasn't able to know him for longer than I did. Uh, and so there was lots of people that paid tribute, uh, myself included, that, that uh, you know recognised there was a, a whole lot of people that were uh, larger in his life than, than I was. But I was I was uh, honoured to have played a small part in it, and uh, as I say, grateful for him for giving me the chance to know him and to play for Celtic. Fantastic. And um, with regards to Stevie Chambers, you said you'd only met him a couple of times. What was he like as a person? Stevie was a gentleman, uh, quietly spoken, very respectful as well, as well as respected. And uh, as I say, he, he, he talked to you just like he'd, he'd known you all his life. And, uh, you know, there was a, 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 always a reverence round about the. Lisbon lines, but you never. Stevie made you immediately feel that you weren't. Uh, he, he wasn't anything special. Even though he scored the winning goal in the European Cup final, the the only man to do so. Mm-hmm. Hello. Hello, sorry, Billy, you broke up there as we were talking. Um, yes, yeah, so Stevie Chalmers. Um, he didn't make you feel. Um, yeah, like he was, above he was such a lovely man and, and made you feel comfortable talking to his company. As I said, you know, talking about Billy Captain at Celtic uh, and the Lisbon Lions all at their place, but to have scored the winning goal is a special uh, place in Scottish history as well, so uh, Scottish football history. So uh, he, he was just an ordinary guy when you spoke to him and uh, never had any ears or graces. Yeah, and I mean, I was looking at his record. I mean, he was—he's the fifth highest goal scorer in Celtic's history as well. Um, you know, with 
over 200 goals to the club um, in the 12 year period that he was there I mean what was he like as a striker from you, your perspective growing up as a supporter yeah well you always remember uh, you know when you were on the games the commentaries and Chalmers scores again and uh, you know he, he was quick he wasn't the most blessed technically Stevie but he was a workhorse he was quick and he had that, that that thing that not very many have. He was a natural goal scorer. Uh, whether it was toe pokes or uh, you know, finishes in and around the box, uh, to be to be the fifth highest goal scorer in Celtic's history, the history of that club is quite amazing. You know, even set aside from uh, having scored the winning goal in the European Cup final, it wasn't a flash in the pan. That it was uh, a body of work over a number of years that uh, the. And everybody gave him the greatest respect uh, as a, a phenomenal goal scorer. And just watching a documentary the other night, there, I was unaware that he had uh, a really life-threatening disease, tuberculosis, early in his life, and, and came through that. So that told you about the character of the man. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that that story, uh-huh. the, the thing that was in the documentary a couple of years ago was um, quite frightening when that came out, and it was actually a Rangers fan that um, that saved his life, um, but it probably that's just right, sums yeah. it up. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That was a nice touch. Yeah, lovely. I mean, just um, just to wrap up this um, interview, um, just you know, I, I know you've talked about what the '67 um, team meant um, to everyone, but just sum up the characters that are. Billy McNeil and Steve Chalmers? Well, I, I think, first of all, very, very different characters. As I say, Stevie was, uh, uh, you know, the, from what little I knew, I knew of him, and you try to picture all those big personalities in the, the Celtic dressing room around about that time. And uh, Stevie uh, was certainly, from uh, testimonials and people you, people you speak to, one of the quieter ones, but uh, I think in that dressing room you would have had to be able to handle yourself. No doubt about that. And uh, as I say, his his uh, st- life story uh, tells you about the character and the strength of him. Uh, but as, as I say, it was the a joke in the pack that we Bertie or Jimmy or Bobby Lennox, these type of people, or and a, bu- a brilliant, uh, massive personality, uh, outgoing uh, personality like uh, Big Billy. But I think that was the beauty of that squad, that, and it usually is in terms of when you get a team, a great team together, that they all are different types, but they they all gelled and loved each other, and uh, you know that was something that always came through about that group of players, the Lisbon Lions. Yeah, they're certainly a special group. I mean, the fact they were born within 30 miles of Glasgow. I mean, you won't get that repeated ever again um, well thanks so much for your time Bill and for giving your th- um, your tributes to the Scottish Football Forums podcast and um, yeah uh, hope to speak to you again pleasure, soon John. thank you it's a pleasure thanks a lot cheers cheers now right. <laughs>